There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ here in Cave Creek, Arizona. And today I want us to take a look at being a brave adventurer. A brave adventurer. You know, as Christians, God saved us to, so that we can go on this great adventure. He's called us to be bold and he's called us to be brave. And when I look up the word adventure in the dictionaries, I, I read that it is this. Someone who likes dangerous or exciting experiences. A person who seeks adventure. A person willing to take risks. Now, I remember when I took a trip to Trinidad, Tobago. This was a missionary trip a long time ago when I was still at the School of Preaching in Sunset International Bible Institute in Texas. And at the time, I considered that an adventure. But it wasn't dangerous. It was exciting, yes, but not dangerous. Not in the sense that <clears throat> I think is implied in the definition for adventure. Yeah, was there some dangers? Sure, but not the kind of dangers I think we're seeing here. A friend of mine, uh, Tyler, here at the congregation, just got back on a tr- from a trip in China. Were there some dangerous situations there for him? Well, sure. But I, I don't think it's the kind of adventure that God's talking about in the sense of the kind of dangers he was going to be facing. We as Christians need to be, as God called us, bold adventurers, willing to face certain dangers. And he's called us to go on a mission to show the world exactly what Christianity is all about. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus describes it like this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, I, I use salt to season my food. I turn on lights to light up a room. But if that salt and that light, if they don't fulfill the real purposes for me, if they're hidden away and not used, then they are literally useless to me. And that what Jesus was saying to us on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been called to fulfill a purpose. We've been called to be more than just a bunch of folks who sit in a a worship building, a church building, and just sit there. We've been called to be bold in our faith, to share that faith uh, in Jesus with others. We have a mission. We have a bold adventure set before us. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
so that we would walk in them, the kind of life that we live. So what is it? What is it that God has called us to do? Simply be there, probably as you are right now, driving your car, you know, maybe sitting at home, drinking tea, watching, uh, uh, listening to this program. What is the bold adventurer, adventure, he has set before us? Looking at the text here in um, in First Peter chapter three, verses eight through seventeen, we're going to read it here in just a moment. I've come to a conclusion. Actually, it's not really me coming to a conclusion. Many others have done it before me. I'm standing on the shoulders of greater, smarter men than me. And so I'm using that. And there's three basic parts. Number one, live out your faith. Number two, be bold in your faith. And number three, be prepared to give an answer for your faith. I want to read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 17. The text reads thus. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous or eager for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame." For it is better, if God will will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than doing, than for doing what is wrong. God calls us to be zealous or eagerly live our faith, as it's said there in First Peter three, thirteen. And here's the listing of the kind of things we should be known for that Peter makes known to us. Number one, we need to live in harmony, right? Live in harmony. We need to be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate. Be humble. We should not be repaying evil for evil, but we ought to be giving and being a blessing for all those around us. Keep our tongues from evil. That is, don't say evil things and don't have deceitful speech. Don't lie. Turn away from evil and Pursue that which is good and seek peace and pursue that as well. In other words, God calls us to be a people who show respect and love for others. Now, you may think, well, that's not very hard to do, but it sure does seem like it, doesn't it, at times? There are times where I just want to just, oh, you know, go off on somebody, but that's not the Christian thing to do. Many of you out there listening to this program, perhaps you're, you're a Christian. You've been a Christian for a number of years. or uh, Do you always live up to those criterias? No, you don't. And God knows that. 
And that's why this command is repeated over and over again. You see it in 1 Peter 2.17. You see it again in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 somewhat. Why stress this? Because it's not always easy to do the good and kind and loving thing. And what Peter is telling us is this. You and I, we need to deliberately decide that, that this is what our adventure is all about. We ought to be zealous for what is good, or eager for what is good. You may remember several years back when Chick-fil-A's founder made people uh, upset when he claimed this. I want to tell you what he said. He said, quote, I think we are inviting God's judgment on our nation when we shake our fist at him and say, we know better than you as to what constitutes a marriage. And said, uh, he also said this, that his company was very much supportive of the family, the biblical definition of the family unit. Man, that created a firestorm. You know, I, I never even heard a Chick-fil-A. I probably had seen it, just never gave it much thought, until that whole thing blew up. Then I started going to Chick-fil-A. But anyway, here's what happened after he, he made that statement. A uh, uh, alderman in Chicago announced that he would block Chick-fil-A's uh, location in his ward. Uh, a mayor in Chicago declared Chick-fil-A's values are not Chicago's values. The mayor in San Francisco declared that Chick-fil-A wasn't welcome there. Well, there, was, there were no plans to build Chick-fil-A, but he said it anyway. The Washington, a Washington mayor, Vincent Gray, called the chain hate chicken. Now... If you're a Christian, or if you aspire to Christian values, you should totally agree with Chick-fil-A. Our nation is inviting God's judgment because of the acceptance of gay marriage and the homosexual lifestyle. But that's not all Chick-fil-A is known for. Uh, when a winter storm buried Birmingham, Alabama in snow, I think this was like two or three years ago also, stranding hundreds of motorists, the store manager of one of the local Chick-fil-A restaurants saw what was going on. They, they looked out there. They saw uh, hundreds of people stranded for hours on end on the, on the highway. Of course, the manager and her employees were stranded at Chick-fil-A, so they whipped up a bunch of chicken sandwiches. They made the trek. They walked over there to the interstate and started handing out the sandwiches. They would not as accept a single dime for the food or their efforts. They did this all on their own. Why would they do that? The manager had this to say, quote, The company is based on taking care of people and loving people before you're worried about money or profit. We were just trying to follow the model that we've all worked under for so long and the model that we've come to love. There was really nothing else we could, could have done but try to help people any way we could. Man. The employees of that Chick-fil-A eagerly lived their mission. They knew what they had to do when people were hurting. They knew their mission was to take care of people and to love people. Why? Because their company was built on, and I want to emphasize this, their company was built on Christian principles. It doesn't mean they're all Christians. Remember that. But the company is founded on Christian principles, and they're exhibiting 
Christian principles. Our country was founded on Christian principles, and it exhibits, or it still does to an extent, but it used to exhibit it more, Christian principles and values. We ought to still be doing this. We ought to. But, you know, it's slowly fading away. But in the same way as, the, as those Chick-fil-A employees exhibiting that, those Christian principles, in the same way we, we, we who are truly trying to, to be more like Christ, to die to self and live for Christ and, and have Christ in our hearts, we should eagerly live our faith in such a way that people know that we are not only, uh, we not only stand for purity and good doctrine, but that we live our faith in a mission to love others. We need to be bold adventurers. We ought to, uh, we are to, we are called, excuse me, we are called to live out our faith. Number two, God calls us to be bold in our faith. Peter said there in 1 Peter 3, 14, Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Again, another repeated command to God's people. Somewhere someone had said that the command do not fear in some way or another shows up a total of 365 times in the Bible. Is that true? I've never studied it out. But it's interesting that there would be one for every day of the year if it is so. And so I want to give you not a 365, but just three, maybe four, verses that point to this idea. Psalm 27.1. David several times wrote something like this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jesus said this in John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. It is hard to be a bold adventurer if you are conquered by fear. Fear and boldness just don't go together. Fear is like the big bully in in the high school hallway. He's brash, he's loud, and unproductive. You know, and fear never did anything great. I'm talking about when fear overtakes your desires, or what you're trying to do. I shouldn't say desires, but what you're trying to do. When fear keeps you from stepping out, when fear keeps you from getting things done, fear never wrote a poem, never negotiated a peace treaty. It never pulled a family out of a a difficult situation, and it never saved a marriage in trouble. Fear never did that, but courage did. Faith did. People who refuse to uh, consult or cower to their timidities do those things. Fear will push us into a type of prison and shut and lock the door. And God knows that most of us struggle with fear once in a while. But he repeatedly tells us, do not be afraid. Why? Why shouldn't I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. He's my stronghold. He's with me. He's there to uphold me. It's like my my children. Whenever they're scared, they're in this stage now where they're starting to get nervous or scared. 
Uh, in fact, today I just got back from uh, the elementary school where my son Joshua took his assessment test. And he's super excited about going to school. He's going into kindergarten. And while we were there, even though he was real excited, he, could, he wanted to be there, he did something that he doesn't normally do. He stayed very close to me, and he held my hand, and he was a little shy talking to some of the teachers. Why? He was fearful. But as long as I was there, as long as I was there, he could do it. Yeah, he was a little timid, but he could do it. I helped him, my presence helped him overcome that fear of the unknown and track on. And God does the same for us. We can be bold adventurers because God has promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. And God told us stories throughout the Bible of great men and great women who struggled with fear but overcame them by faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You think they were fearful about being thrown into that furnace, that fire? You better believe it. Yeah. But their desire for God and for knowing that he was always going to be there for them overcame that fear, and they were able to make some extraordinary statements. Esther, Queen Esther, she was fearful to go see the king when Mordecai, her uncle, told her, you should go do that. Oh, I can't do that. But through his encouragement and, and uh, uh, um, exhortation, uh, kind of uh, rebuking her a little bit too, she stepped up knowing, okay, God, God's going to be with me, and she did it. David, Abraham, many more. There are so many examples of bold adventurers. And if we're going to be that, we need to live our faith. We ought to be bold in our faith. And number three, we need to become bold adventurers if we want to really be that way, we must be prepared to give an answer for our faith. Maybe you remember, or maybe you heard or saw about the uh, the big debate again years ago. That was in Kentucky. Uh, yeah, it was in Kentucky between Ken Ham. He is the founder of the Creation Museum, and the Creation Museum. That's where they had that the life size ark, Noah's ark. Uh, I, I really want to get out there and see that. I think that would just be awesome to, to, to see. Anyway, he, he's a, a, the founder of that uh, Creation Museum. He challenged Bill Nye, the science guy, he's a devout evolutionist and atheist, to a debate over whether the Bible's story of creation was correct. A few months before that had occurred, uh, Nye, Bill Nye had declared this, quote, I say to the grown-ups, if you want to deny evolution and live in your world, in your world that's completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's fine. But don't make your kids do it because we need them. We need scientifically literate voters and taxpayers for the future. We need people that can, we need engineers that can build stuff, solve problems. End quote. In other words, what he's saying is this. You cannot be an intelligent person if you don't believe in evolution. You cannot be a smart voter or intelligent taxpayer. You can't be an engineer. You can't contribute anything significant to society if you believe in the creation idea. That's what he's saying. That Bill Nye video went viral 
Ken Ham decided to take Nye to task, and he challenged him to that public debate on the topic. Nye accepted. The premise of the debate of the debate was, quote, is creation a viable model of origins in today's modern scientific era? The tickets to the event sold out in less than an hour. Millions of people watched the event being streamed live on the internet. I watched it. A friend of mine, Alex Bigham, watched it. Maybe you watched it too. Uh, after the debate was finished, everyone agreed. Ham and I both were very respectful, respectful of each other. And that the audience was polite. They were attentive. Afterwards, uh, this was after like a long time afterward. I looked on the Facebook uh, comments. And I only looked there because someone else pointed this out. That some people were, were making some comments. But there were some uh, particular comments in there. Michael Schulson of a newspaper called The Daily Beast. He's an avowed evolutionist said this, quote, they're talking about Bill Nye, and remember this guy would be on Bill Nye's side. Nye never had a chance. He spent three quarters of the debate sounding like a clueless geek. He spent ten minutes delivering a dry lecture on geological sediments and biogeography, using the kind of PowerPoint slides that a high school junior might make for his biology class. <laughs> to say the least, Shulshin was not pleased. Bill Nye had been the champion of his ideals, and he had failed. To show his displeasure, he, sent, he spent several sentences attacking Nye as a has-been, trying to regain his glory years by standing in an undeserved limelight. Of course, Scholson also had a, lot, or a few negative things to say about Ken Ham as well. He virtually disagreed with him to begin with, so that's what you'd expect, but... Here's one of the comments I want to hone in on. He said this. Ken Ham, quote, presented testimonial videos from engineers, biology PhDs, who hold creationist views. Now, why is that important? Ken Ham proved that there were many credible scientists who believed that God created the world, not by evolution, but by a miracle. In other words, you can believe in creation and still be intelligent. You can be an engineer or a scientist. The fact of the matter is, evolution is not science fact. It's simply a theory. It's never been observed in the real world, nor repeated in the lab. Ken Ham won the debate, but that wasn't the major purpose. According to a creationist commentator, throughout the debate, Ham was constantly bold in citing his confidence in God, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and in the full authority and divine inspiration of the Bible. Is Ken Ham a Christian? I, I can only say, I don't know. I don't really know the man. Uh, the reason why I say that is that I know there's a lot of people out there who say they're Christians and they're not. But he is exhibiting Christian principles. That's why I bring this up. He was respectful and polite. He literally was living out the faith in front of the world. He made no excuse for the fact that he believed in the uh, uh, in Christ of the Bible and that that was the basis of his faith. And also, he knew what he was talking about. He spent decades researching the information, and when given the chance, he was able, able to give an account of what he believed with no problem at all. That 
is the kind of attitude we need to have if we really are going to be Christians. We can't just sit around on the worship day listening to the preacher. We can't only come on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights. We can't just listen to radio programs or just read books. Or we can't just read the Bible. That's true. It should cause us to want to act it act out what we are believing, what we're, what we're reading here. Let me, uh, kind of doing this off the, the top of my head here, let me turn over to uh, the book of James real quick. And I want to read a, a passage here in James chapter 2, where James is talking about, you know, faith without works is dead. And he says in verse 18, But someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, I think the quote there, when he says someone may well say, is he's saying someone might say this, and here's the statement that someone might say. You have faith, and I have works. And that's the statement. And then James tells that person, Okay, show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, my faith causes me to do something, to be bold, to be an adventurer. And that means I'm going to go out there and preach the word. I'm going to exhibit it in my life. I'm going to be salt and light. I'm going to be useful to the Lord. I'm going to be. And that means there's a chance, a high chance, I will be persecuted. That's the adventure part. And God calls us to do these things for him. And we ought to be doing them. Don't be the one talent man who goes out into the desert and buries the talent. And then when his Lord returns, he says, Well, I knew you were an exacting man. And so I hid it. And the master said, You should have at least put it into the bank so I could uh, occur interest. But you didn't. And he called him a worthless servant. And threw him out. Cast him out. That will be us if we don't use what the Lord has given us in the way he intends us to use it. He'll take it away and give it to another. Think about these things. If you're really a Christian, you're going to get into the word. You're going to be bold about speaking it out. And you're going to be ready to give people a defense of the gospel of all that you believe in. Well, I appreciate you being here. I I hope you think on these things. Study your Bibles daily, folks. Pick up your cross daily and follow Him. And let us always make the most of every opportunity. Let us redeem the time as the Lord has blessed us with so much. Thank you very much. Bring it out, bring it out, bring it out Till the sinful world be one For Jehovah's mighty Son Bring it out, bring it out, bring it out